beautiful day here in Ann Arbor. It was. Lovely walk. Good day to watch a race. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can hear you. I can see you. Are you ready to go, son? I am ready to go. Hello, welcome to Hard Compound, an American take on Formula One. Just watched Austin, the U.S. Grand Prix, possibly the largest audience ever in person to see a Formula One race. We have a content-rich episode for you. Patrick Sun, can I get your thoughts on the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin, Texas? Yeah, I mean, Austin is usually a lot of fun near the end of the season. Coda is a great circuit, tons of fun to watch, and this time around we got a lot of action, which was was a lot of fun. We did. And I think, you know, if we have to go with a three-word take, mine is going to be all for one. We lost the owner of the Red Bull team and the co-founder of the Red Bull franchise this weekend, and obviously it was a very difficult time for that team and actually a lot of drivers who got their start at Red Bull on the grid. And, you know, I I think the team kind of rallied around that and Max, you know, put the team on his back a little bit and drove them to a win that, you know, has capped off sort of a spectacular season for them, ultimately claiming the, both the drivers world championship and constructors championship this season. You know, even though, These new regulations plus spending cap means that all the teams are going to be within a much narrower gap of ability. We're not going to go back to an era like the turbo hybrid era where Mercedes is going to win everything year in, year out. There's new regulations. It makes for more competitive driving. The cost caps make for more competitive teams. But. That said, I just think what Red Bull is doing is just amazing. Max is just simply outracing everyone. Red Bull have the best car. Despite the new regulations, despite the spending cap, we might be in a new era of Red Bull domination. Max won world championship last year. He won the world championship this year. Red Bull wins the constructors this year. I'm not sure if Mercedes or Ferrari can catch them within one or two more seasons. We'll be sure to watch, but it's fascinating to see this sort of level of domination despite rules meant to ensure competition. And you also mentioned the Red Bull founder. It really is astounding what he did. I mean, just for starters, Red Bull, you know, here in the U.S. and most of the world, Coke and Pepsi brands dominated the soft drink market. We didn't think there'd be room for something like a Red Bull. He proved us all wrong. He's gotten into a lot of sports. And just in F1, just what an outsized influence. The Red Bull team now with, what, five constructors, multiple world champions, so many of the drivers got to start from him. Pierre Gasly had nice words to say. Daniel Ricciardo, nice words to say. Pretty amazing. But you're right. This was a race. Max just put the team on his back. He already has the championship won. He won that in Suzuka in Japan last week. 
but it was, you know, it was like, no, that's not enough. We're going to, we're going to get the constructors this week, which I did not think was going to happen. It happened in part because of more Ferrari heartache. Do you wish to speak to that? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Ferrari has great qualifying. We've seen it all year. You know, Carlos Sainz and Leclerc each have multiple pole positions this year. They regularly have qualified one or two or pretty much at the worst on the second row. And so, you know, Carlos Sainz starts on pole and Leclerc qualifies second, but obviously takes a 10-place grid penalty for his engine and power unit or turbo, I think. But, you know, turn one can be dangerous sometimes. Sainz got off to a bit of a slow start, but, you know, only lost one place to Max. I think Sainz didn't really do anything wrong, you know, got held up getting on the power behind Max. And Russell made a pretty big blunder and and went straight into the side of of signs. I mean, not much the Ferrari driver can do in that situation. And, you know, I think we've talked about this a couple of times on the show. The rules seem to make it pretty clear that you're allowed to take out your competition and (laughs) suffer very minor penalties. Five seconds for taking out. Yeah five-second penalty for taking out his closest rival in the driver's championship currently. Only a couple points separated those two to start this day. So pretty ridiculous, I think, that the penalty for, you know, basically what amounts to taking out your competitor from the race, Signs had to retire after that, is a slap on the wrist and, you know, go finish in the top five. It's unreal that that's possible. Yeah, we we had this discussion, I think a couple months ago, and I think it was George, and he took out Sergio. And and we thought, you know, that was on George. That was his fault, just like today. And we said, you know, you either say that's George's fault and give him a significant penalty or say it's a racing incident. Because, you know, George... And I think we're seeing the frustration really bubble up with George Russell. I mean, he took out Sergio early this year. He took out Carlos. Those are, you know, two of his rivals. He's competing for a position with against them. And, yeah, both times, five-second penalty. And it's pretty shocking. I'm not 100% sure I could write rules for the FIA for them to make it so that if it's not a racing incident, you are going to suffer a serious penalty. But they they do need to look at that. And I did want to talk actually about George Russell because I thought it was a bit of a foolish error on his part. He did take out Carlos Sainz, who had such a nice weekend leading up to that, and really believed he was going to fight for the win. You know, and he's out almost as soon as the race starts. And I think we're seeing a lot of frustration from George Russell. You know, he probably expected the Mercedes car to be better than it has. And really, it's just been the third best car this year. He had been out driving Lewis Hamilton, his teammate, the first half of the season. And now I think that has reversed and he's not keeping pace with Lewis. So, you know, I, I think this is sort of leading him to to sort of make mistakes, to sort of take out some aggression, some frustration. But it was disappointing for Ferrari fans, for science fans, and for racing fans, because we all wanted to see that. You know, we had Red Bull Ferrari and Mercedes right at the front. We really wanted to see that battle. George sort of, you know, kind of robbed us a bit of that. 
Yeah, we ended up getting a little bit of it at the end there with Leclerc coming back and the Red Bull pit issue with Verstappen kind of putting him in the mix with Hamilton. But yeah, I mean, if from the get-go we we got to see those three teams and, and some really great drivers go head-to-head without incident, I, I think it would have made for an even more entertaining race than we ended up getting. Yeah. But we did get to see, like you said, we did get to see some fun, intense battles. Austin usually delivers. It did again this year. Max and Lewis. Max and Charles. The great, you know, battle between Vettel and Magnuson there near the end. That was fun to watch. So we did get a lot of good stuff this this race. And what about the, um, (laughs) like, how did Alonzo even make it to the race through the to the end of the race it was like you know i was like oh i did not know f1 cars could do wheelies but apparently they can (laughs) and and you know and you could tell that one really took a lot out of him i'm sure he's going to be seeing a doctor tonight but that incident with stroll you know i thought well there's no way he'll even continue the race i didn't think he would finish the race and i mean that was a hell of a race from alonso Uh, what was it sixth or seventh he came in after that accident that was that was impressive yeah it definitely was i mean good driving from him i think we kind of got to see both ways that f1 cars can be surprisingly fragile with that incident between russell and signs basically you know destroying the radiator and in, in signs car and, and he has to retire but also how surprisingly durable they can be and and you know Alonso was full airborne, pretty much. He came down hard, still smacked into a wall, and his car was, you know, good enough to drive the rest of the way. (laughs) Right. And and still quick enough to finish in the points. I mean, it's impressive what these machines are capable of, and then just how much the drivers have to go through on any given race. And, you know, I think it's a testament to, you know, them actually being athletes. I I mean, I don't know if people maybe think of racing drivers as athletes, but they definitely are. They put their bodies through a lot and and it can be quite impressive. It certainly can. I also thought it was impressive that Kevin Magnuson, I mean, he was battling it out there and and he was taking on Vettel and they put on a great show. You know, this is for Haas team that's, you know, now fallen down to, I think, eighth and maybe close to ninth and, you know, really not fighting for anything. Once again, sort of saying, well, next year's car will be, you know, competing for podiums. We'll see. But he did a great job also. So why don't you give me your top five for Austin? Yeah, I mean, we kind of mentioned a lot of them already, but I'll start off. I think that so many guys had good races, but The guy that impressed me the most, I think, this weekend was Charles Leclerc. He had an awesome qualifying, ended up qualifying second behind his teammate, took that 10-place grid penalty, started way down in 12th, and just kind of methodically worked his way back up, fought tooth and nail with Verstappen until his tires went and ended up on the podium. You know, I thought it was a very impressive weekend overall for a driver that, you know, has been pretty disappointed some weekends this season but he came back and and you know he's he's battling with Perez in the drivers championship and he and he leapfrogged him this weekend and and goes back ahead you know 
I don't have Leclerc in my top five. And I think you make some great points. And he had a great race. And he's in second in the Drivers' Championship. But the reason I didn't put him in my top five was as much as I like him and as great as a driver he is, he seems to always be at his best when there's no pressure. And F1 drivers really need to be able to sort of embrace the pressure. You know, this weekend, Carlos had pull. So the pressure was more on Carlos, his teammate. The driver's championship is already won and done. Max had it. If Red Bull didn't win the constructors this week, they probably would next week. So there just was not much pressure on Charles Leclerc. He did have a great race, great weekend. It was fun watching him today, but... I'm starting to have some some doubts about about what he's going to be able to do when it's all on the line. Yeah, I think that's fair. And hopefully we get to see that. You know, I hope Ferrari is able to put out a good competitive car with the likes of Red Bull and, and Mercedes consistently over, you know, the next several years. Yep. So why don't you give me your number two? <laughs> yep. So number two, I have Seb Vettel. Awesome performance from him. He went through a lot, gave us some good battles, and you know got ultimately some really impressive points for that Aston Martin. You know, I think they're now chasing down Alfa Romeo in the battle for constructors championship, the sixth place position. And they're pretty close there after sort of a tumultuous season overall. <laughs> yep. Then I have K Mag. Nice. Third driver of the day. You know, you mentioned him earlier, but, you know, pulled off a one stop, got good points, keeps Haas afloat in that eighth spot in the constructors ahead of AlphaTori. You know, he finished ahead of both of their drivers today. So well done to him. Then I have the pilot, Fernando Alonso. <laughs> he went airborne today. <laughs> yeah. He went through a lot today. Well, this weekend overall, he had a really solid qualifying after a pretty disappointing from his teammate Ocon. But Alonso also took a grid penalty. I think he maybe started 14th or something like that. And, you know, had had a few incidents today, but managed to climb his way back up into seventh for a really impressive finish. And then finally, I have the race winner, Max Verstappen. Kind of was pretty comfortable for most of the race and then that second pit stop really kind of threw a wrench into things they weren't able to get one of his his wheels secured and so took a while in the pits and and he ended up coming out behind both hamilton and leclerc i believe and he was able to get around leclerc fairly quickly and then you know track down hamilton and get past him in the closing stages of the race so Really good performance from him under a bit of pressure there at the end of the race, and he came through for his team. Nice, nice. So you have Leclerc, Vettel, Magnussen, Alonso, and Max. That's great. Mine, a bit different this week. Normally, we were more in tune. You had Max at five. I had him at one. Just another great drive. I think he's proven that he's now the best driver on the grid. Once again, he could have taken this week off, and he did not. He could have decided not to fight Leclerc and not to fight Hamilton for the win, but he went for the win. Even though, as we said, he has the driver's championship locked up and Red Bull would, was going to win the constructors at some point during the 
few races remaining this season. But just another stellar performance by Max. That's why I had him number one. My number two, like your number four, Alonzo. Alonzo the legend. It's really, the superlatives come easy with, with Alonzo. A storied career, two championships, and, you know, a long career with lousy cars. And yet, when you look back over the past, you know, 15, 20 years, you might want to talk about Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton, the Mercedes dominant era. You know, there was Kimmy had some nice races, but Alonso is just, if you give him a top car, he's going to win. And if you give him a bad car, he's going to somehow do something magical with that. You know, we saw the long defense of Lewis Hamilton to get Ocon his win. This sort of crazy incident this week where, you know, he goes airborne somehow. You know, he sticks the landing, as they say. He gets the car moving again and gets in the points. It's just, you know, there's going to be plenty of highlights for everyone to see once Alonzo finally retires. My number three, another legend, the retiring Sebastian Vettel. Great race for him. Love seeing the, some of those battles. And, you know, just a, a, an errant pit stop really screwed him <laughs> because for a while there, you even thought, could could he actually be on the podium? Could Vettel and the Aston Martin actually get on the podium? But sadly, that was not to be. Number four, Lewis Hamilton. You know, he struggled the first half of the year in this Mercedes, even losing out to his teammate George. But really, in the second half of the season, he's come on. He's just being, you know, his sort of focus, dominant self, just relentless. Another great race. You know, I, I think Max is a better driver and the Red Bull's a slightly better car. He just could not hold on for the win, but a great race. He came in second. My number five is Lando. Lando's been sort of the, the quiet driver this year, but he just keeps coming into the points, even while his teammate Daniel Ricciardo keeps failing to make the points. The McLaren car should be much better than it is. It's not, but Lando does a great job week in, week out. And, you know, I think Lewis will probably retire in a year or two, but we will have two plus great British drivers, George and Lando. Let's hope we may add Albon to that list. So I have Max, Alonzo, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, and Lando Norris. Now, there was a brief period there where it was Hamilton, Vettel, and Verstappen. And they even mentioned it. That was like 13 podiums uh, or 13, you know, championships among them, which is pretty amazing. And I think we actually have discussed that before where, you know, it's like, you know, right now there are just so many championships on the grid. You can add Alonzo's two for 15. And, you know, once Lewis retires, we may have just one driver with a championship, you know, Max Verstappen. So I, I thought that was funny. Yeah, that would be amazing. I think that was actually my we talked about that after the last race because my across the line predictions had all four of them. Mm, I, I had that's I, right. had taken all four of them. So <laughs> 15 <laughs> world championships right. between them. Yeah, a pretty impressive drive from all of those guys actually this weekend. So yeah, all really the championships. Great. Yep. Yep. Now I talked about Lando Norris and the McLaren. Lando's been great. His teammate Daniel Ricciardo not so great. The McLaren, not so great. One great thing McLaren did, though, this weekend was let Mario Andretti take one out for a spin, and that was great to see. And I was sort of shocked because 
you know, we've sort of made it our mission to sort of help bring F1 to America, and it's just growing in popularity week in, week out, year after year. It's still European-centric. And I was shocked at how many folks over in England and Europe just did not realize the sort of the outsized impact Mario Andretti has had on the sport. He's won F1 championship. He's won Indy 500. I believe he's won Daytona, Le Mans. He's built teams. I mean, this guy is one of the legends of the sport of racing. More so, I mean, you could put him in the top five, top 10 of all time. And I mean, like with guys like, you know, Enzo Ferrari, for example. So I was just kind of surprised at it that how few sort of European race fans sort of really didn't understand the impact Andretti has had in racing. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just due to he's had more influence in North American racing, right? But of course, I mean, he's he's a Formula One champion. I mean, that's an impressive thing. And, you know, he has an indie team. He's got sons, Marco Andretti, and that are have been indie drivers and run things for that team. And yeah, I mean, he's an impressive person in motorsport. He's definitely had a lot of influence and especially in IndyCar and other North American racing institutions. But it was awesome to see him out there driving around it. I think it was a 2013 McLaren. So cool to see you know, we, we got to see him in the booth, I think, with Danica Patrick and maybe Jensen Button during the free practice sessions. And just what a cool person he is and has had so much impact on the sport, Formula One and, and, and motorsport in general, and has really helped bring an American influence into motorsport, which I think is is so cool to see. Right. And you mentioned Danica Patrick when the Sky F1 team heads to the U.S. She's there, and I want to say she does a great job in color commentating. But sticking with the sort of McLaren sub-theme here, Daniel Ricciardo, once again, outside the points, even though his teammate Lando in the points, Daniel has no team signed for next year. He says he won't be a reserve driver, I think. He says he will not compete in Indy. What do you think? Is he done? Or will will we see Daniel Ricciardo back in F1 as a driver? I feel like I have to say I don't think so. <laughs> you know, his performances haven't really been there with McLaren, so it seems like it would be weird for him to sign with any other team that currently doesn't have a driver signed. You know, it, it would feel like they would go in a different direction. And if he doesn't really want to be in a reserve sort of role, then, you know, it seems like you would have to look elsewhere to other sort of racing leagues, I guess, for a chance to drive. I think, you know, Indy would be a cool place for him to go. Maybe, you know, he gets excited about Formula E or something like that. You know, <laughs> we've seen a couple guys do that before, but He's been in Formula One for so long and, you know, he was really, really close with Red Bull a couple seasons to winning that championship. And, you know, he just never got it done. And yeah, it it seems kind of hard to believe that he'll be out of Formula One, but I just don't see an opportunity presenting itself for him that maybe he's willing to take. I am with you. He's such a great personality, fun guy. Everyone seems to love him. 
He had a couple good years with Red Bull, good year with Renault. And yeah, it's tough. I mean, we never can say never. There's rumors that even still Hulkenberger make back in. Magnuson was out, but you know, he got the call back. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't believe Ricardo will be back in F1 as a driver. Bit sad. So we know who finished on the podium. It was Max and Lewis. Charles, what about on the virtual podium, Patrick? Who do you think belongs on our virtual podium this week? Yeah, well, we also already kind of mentioned mine. So I had Mario Andretti and Emerson Fittipaldi slinging modern-day-ish F1 cars around Coda, which was awesome to see. But, you know, it took me back to your suggestion of a seniors tour (laughs) Call it what you want, Formula S or whatever. Very senior. Yeah. (laughs) If if you could see Andretti, Fittipaldi, and, you know, Lewis Vettel on the same track, I mean, how cool would that be? That would be. That would be. Yes. You know, I I think that's a great idea because when I brought up that idea, it was like, you know, we can get Alonzo in his early 40s. Lewis and Vettel will soon be in 40s. Bring Kimmy back. Hey, Daniel Ricardo. Maybe he'll be part of the, the F1 Seniors Tour. But why leave it at that? Let's say, hey, Jensen Button, you want to get back in there? Emerson Fittipaldi, Juan Pablo, Mario Andretti. What is Mario? <laughs> is, is he like 80? I don't know. <laughs> no. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got to make the F1 Seniors Tour happen. Nice. For me, virtual podium, I'm going to put Austin. You know, it looked like a a nice day. The fans showed up from all around the U.S., well over 100,000 in attendance, good racing. We had a lot of good battles. And so, you know, the U.S. is putting on a show. And uh, so I love it. So Seniors Tour, Mario Andretti and Emerson Vittipaldi and Austin get on to our (laughs) (laughs) virtual podium. Okay, let's switch to the soft compound. Has America peaked for F1 or has F1 peaked in America? You know, we had our second of two races in the U.S. at Austin with this week. Next year, we're going to have three U.S. races. There's talk of a fourth, possibly New York or California. Logan Sargent, American driver, is getting rumored to be an F1 driver next year. ESPN renewed their deal with F1 and will show most of the races live. There's going to be a new season of Netflix Drive to Survive coming out next year. Apple CEO Tim Cook was there waving the flag. Disney CEO uh, Iger was there. Brad Pitt was there. There's going to be some new Hollywood F1 movie. So what do we think of this, Patrick? Is America and F1 as a thing kind of like uh, Ben and, who is it, J-Lo? Ben and 
what would that oh, be? Yeah, ben yeah. Jen? I don't even know. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we should try okay, our hand right, right, pop culture. I, uh, right, 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 right. <laughs> so what do we think? F1 in America. <laughs> I mean, is this a permanent thing? Will this continue to grow or I is think it, it just will. a... I think okay. Americans love fast chaos. <laughs> and that's kind of what F1 delivers most of the time. You know, I, I'm not sure that all of the races get the same kind of American attention as the races that happen in the U.S. But, you know, I think it's so much more popular than it was even, you know, five, six years ago in the States. They're adding races every year, basically. (laughs) So, you know, I think it's still growing. I don't think it's reached its peak. I think once we finally do see another American driver as a permanent driver, I think, in Formula One, interest will go up even more. And, you know, there's still talks of another sort of potential buyout by American ownership of teams in F1. So, you know, I I think there's still room for the U.S. and and sort of American interest to gain influence in the sport. And, you know, I still look forward to it. I I think there's a very Eurocentric sort of focus on, on Formula One even still. And I think as things start to shift and the U.S. gains more influence and the sport gains more popularity here, we'll start to see you know, just more North American interest in the sport, Canadian, Mexican, you know, all over. So I think that's a good thing overall for the sport. And, you know, I'm excited to see it continue to grow. Yeah, you know, me too. I think you're right. I think it will continue to grow. Uh, The American influence uh, with tech money, media, social media, Hollywood, that's all going to play a part. And I think we're still in the early days of the American sort of usurpation of of F1 fandom. Having said that, though, there is one American team in F1, pseudo-American team, that's Haas. Gene Haas is an American. But, you know, I I hate to say bad stuff about Haas. However, we are now entering the second full season of a spending cap. They're not even spending, I think, at the floor. They keep making excuses, you know, next year's car, next year's car. I'm sort of losing my patience with Gunther. He makes for great TV and headlines, but we're really not seeing the results. Haas team has been in F1 now for several years, and I think it was their first and second years that were the best. They seem to have gotten worse almost every year. I don't know. Any thoughts on on Haas, on Gunther Steiner, on the Haas team? Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm a little disappointed with Haas. You know, they managed to scrape up enough money to get a team together and and enter the sport. I'm not sure how they were able to do that because, yeah, like you said, they're they're just being way outspent by everybody else. They kind of trundle along and somehow kind of end up getting some results on occasion, which has, you know, helped them secure so far an eighth place constructors finish, which admittedly is impressive for the team but you kind of think to yourself why is eighth place impressive right and i think that's kind of where everybody is at with that where look you you can't be happy with eighth place you got to be competitive in the midfield at least 
And so, you know, you need Gunther and all your other, you know, people, seniors to find a way to get good sponsorships, to find a way to get enough money to put together a competitive car. Because, you know, as maybe impressive as some of Magnuson's performances or some of Mick's performances have been, they're still very close to being overtaken in that eighth place position by AlphaTauri, who's had a, a really horrible year. Yeah, yeah. AlphaTauri has had such a horrible year, and that's their sort of inexplicable horrible year is the only reason why Haas is not in ninth place. And, you know, there has been no team as consistently terrible as Williams. They are again in 10th. There really is no excuse for Williams to sort of consistently be this bad going into a second decade of just utter futility. But we are in the U.S. Haas is the lone semi-U.S. team. And, and I do think it's time for us to start demanding better performance. You know, the Gunther show is sort of wearing thin. Yeah, like you said, eighth place, enough of that. So, you know, it's just, like I said, really at this point, you can't be consistently terrible for a decade. You really have to, some changes need to happen. You know, there's been a lot of folks, you know, like Total Wolf, the Mercedes team principal, sort of putting extremely high demands on any new team coming into the sport whether you think that's justified or not. Haas was sort of stumbled onto the final seat of the last lifeboat getting out of the Titanic. They they got in at exactly the right time, just as the sport was taking off globally. But it's time. I think there could be no more excuses. We need to see something more from them. Well, Ask the Stewards. In our Ask the Stewards segment, I want to know who is going to write the book on Red Bull F1. We talked about Red Bull, the owner and founder of Red Bull, really what they've done over the past 10 to 15 years. Hats off to Christian Horner. You know, Seb Vettel was a four-time champion with them. Max is already a two-time champion with them. They've just won the Constructors' Cup for 2022. And really, I think there is there's sort of the, the opposite of Haas. I think there is no team in F1 that has more talent or more fun that seems to have get more joy from the sport while being the most focused. And, you know, I think that is a testament to the Red Bull leadership. It's, it's pretty amazing what they've done. I would like to see like a serious business case study of the Red Bull F1 team. Yeah, I think that's, that's very valid. They kind of burst onto the scene and have done a great job in not only producing really impressive vehicles throughout the years, but also with their sort of driver program, their development program. You know, they have several drivers on the grid currently that came up through there and, you know, have had several more that have left the sport in the last couple of years. But, you know, what they've been able to accomplish in sort of their brief history with the sport it is really amazing. And I think, you know, Helmut Marco, Christian Horner, like you mentioned, have a lot to do with that. You know, their whole engineering staff and marketing staff and everyone that is associated with that team, you know, they clearly work extremely hard to put together 
you know, championship winning cars and teams. And I don't really know what to say about it. It's been unbelievable to watch throughout the years. Six drivers championships like you had mentioned and seems like more to come. Across the line, that is our segment where we predict the podium for the next race. The next race will be in Mexico. And across the line, we predict who we think will be the top five. If we get them in the top five, we get one point. If we predict their exact position, we get three points. Patrick, what are the standings for across the line to date? Well, with my five points to your two this week. I have taken a slim 73 to 72 lead with three races to go. Wow. That is (laughs) awesome. Yeah, that that's a close one with yeah, three races, right? So we have Mexico, then down to South America, Brazil, and then is it Abu Dhabi to finish it? Yep. Yep. And I think Brazil has a sprint. sprint. Yes. Yes. Okay, so there's a bit more points on the line there, though it does not matter much for first, but it could have an impact on second, third, fourth, and even in the constructor standings. Okay, well, for Mexico, who goes first, you or me? I get the first pick this week. Oh, okay. And, you know, Red Bull looks good, and it's the Mexico Grand Prix We've got a home drive for Sergio Perez, so I'm going to take him P1. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. That's a good one. I will take, since you took Sergio, I will take, it's not Mexico. I know my geography, but (laughs) he he was tragically spun out, knocked out of this race. So Spanish-speaking Carlos Sainz, I'm going to go first. Carlos Sainz. And then... Keeping with my Spanish-speaking theme, the Spaniard Fernando Alonso in second on the podium. Oh, my goodness. Nice. Well, that would be rather impressive <laughs> for Carlos Sainz and then Alonso to get on the podium. Would be yes. Very cool. Let's see. My two and three. Oh, man. He's come so close a few times this season. Hasn't gotten it done. Seven-time world champion. I'll take Hamilton P2. Ooh, nice. And then I'm thinking I'll take Leclerc for his sixth podium in a row. Wow. Is that is that true? So this was his fifth in a row? I believe so, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Good for him. You have Sergio Lewis and Charles. I have Carlos Alonso. So for third place, I will take Max. Max current world champion and in fourth i was talking him up earlier i will take lando norris nice all right four and five this is very interesting i think i will go with a guy who had a great race this week four-time world champion seb vettel Ooh, and then you know a guy who has had a pretty crappy season, but looked good aside from 
a weird late move defending Alonso. Took him out of the race. Yeah. Going to take Lance Stroll, P5. Yeah, that was a bit of a dick move by Lance Stroll and Alonso today. I think that was mostly his fault. I think he just got a little angry, didn't want Alonso to pass him. Just sort of, you know, little, little, little got the elbows out, but it was too much. Something, it could have been serious. But overall, I think Stroll's having a decent season despite that poor car. You have Sergio, Lewis, Charles, Sebastian Vettel, and Lance Stroll. I have Carlos Sainz, Fernando Alonso, Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, fourth. And in fifth, I will go with, let's go with, we haven't heard much from him recently, Esteban Ocon with the Alpine. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting to me because, you know, we've talked about Alonso a lot and, you know, how fun he is to watch. And I'm sure, you know, in our top five picks, we've had him pretty consistently. But Ocon has seven more points than Alonso this season. He so does. he's having a very good, albeit quiet, season overall. Yes, a quiet season, but very good, solid workmanlike season. I think Alonso's had some uh, worse luck and reliability issues. Otherwise, I think he would be a good bit ahead of his teammate. But Esteban, once again, solid F1 driver. He's sort of like, you know, Magnuson, for example, just in a better car. So, Mexico next week. Any crazy prediction for the race or the remainder of the season? The only thing I can think of. As a crazy prediction, and I think this actually is crazy for the rest of the season, Max Verstappen now has 13 wins on the season, tied with Schumacher and Vettel for the most wins in a single season all time. I predict that he will not win any of the next three races. He will not take sole leadership with more than 13 wins on in a single season. Wow. See, I would that is a crazy prediction because I think he almost certainly will get one more. You know, he's admitted there's more races now, so it's an easier record for him to have than sort of like Schumacher or Vettel, for example. But I think he's going to break that. So that would be interesting. My crazy prediction. You know, Lewis second, he's been close. George has been close, but no wins to date. I am going to say. No wins at all this year for Mercedes. That is my crazy prediction. In fact, I'm going to go further than that because the Mercedes car has consistently gotten better. They have been very, very close. I just think Max is just too good. However, I still think no wins for Mercedes this year. And next year, Mercedes will not win the constructors, but all eyes will be on them because they'll be so good that we'll think Lewis could win his eighth. But George will sabotage that because George wants to win that title. And George has shown he can hang. So, I mean, can you imagine next year Toto sending the message to Lewis to sort of defend so George can win? That would be a bit shocking. Yeah, well, Lewis wouldn't do that. I'm pretty sure we're all aware that that would not happen. <laughs> right, right. No so, F1 driver to- should. That's Toto not just can one. say that, but it would never happen. <laughs> awesome. All right. I want to remind our listeners, send your questions or comments to hardcompoundpod at gmail.com. 
We may read them on the show. We definitely will read them. So wish to thank you all for listening to everybody's most beloved father and son F1 podcast. And we are lights out. See you. Thanks for listening. Hey, good show, son. Good show. I felt a little dehydrated. Yesterday, all day was spent in the sun drinking beer at a beer festival. (laughs) 